it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. I love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight is episode 175. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to answer a fantastic listener question that we got recently. It's uh, in three parts. It's a little bit long, but we got some great stuff in here. We thought we had unpacked for you guys and we could talk a little bit about some stuff. So I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to my friend Andrew and let him chat a little bit. And then we'll kind of do our little give and take. Andrew, tell me all about it. Yeah, let's let's dig into this. So got to get the email here from Mike. He says, hello, Andrew. I am extremely grateful for your advice. I've listened to and read your ebook and I'm starting research on Finviz with your VTI spreadsheets. And I'll just say that's a great start. So moving on, I want to begin funding a Roth 401k for future tax-free distributions to complement my 401k. But between my salary and my wife's, we don't qualify the fund a Roth. I am 37 and already have a 401k I've been investing in for 12 years. I recently read about alternatives to funding a Roth from two avenues, either a backdoor Roth conversion or distributing money from my 401k and rolling over to a Roth IRA. So there's a lot of terms there, a lot of jargon. I know we tend to get a good influx of beginners who tune into our show. So Dave, 
maybe you can go give us a brief overview on that. And then I can talk about um, some of these things with the backdoor Roth, because, you know, once you start to make a certain salary and you become a high income earner, some of the rules on Roth change. Um, So why don't you start on that first? Okay. Thanks. I sure will. All right. So I guess a, a brief overview of, of the retirement account. So when we're talking about retirement accounts, there's really kind of two types of accounts that you can invest in that are have to do with taxes. So the first is what's called a traditional and the other one is called a Roth. And the main difference between them uh, easily, I guess, to think of is one is with a traditional, you have to decide whether you want to pay your taxes now or later. So with a traditional, you invest your money and you pay your taxes at a much later time, preferably when you are retired and are starting to receive income from your traditional account. A Roth is money that you already pay the taxes up front. And then when you start withdrawing the money when you retire, you don't un- own Uncle Sam any money. So here in the United States, those are really the two accounts that you have. Now, with both of those accounts, you have the option of using it for stock market investments, which is what we're talking about, but you can also use them with bank accounts as well. So you can set up savings accounts or you can set up CDs at your local bank, whoever you bank with, and you can use a traditional or a Roth as investments. So those are, I guess, the brief overviews of those. Now, they do have contribution limits, and that's kind of what Mike was getting at in the question here earlier. So with a Traditional and a Roth, they both have the same limit amounts, but it has more to do with your tax filing status, I guess. And so, I'm sorry, with a Roth, they have, it has more of a controlling uh, impact on how much you can invest with those based on what your filing status is for taxes. So, for example, with a Roth IRA, when you want to make investments, if you make, so uh, getting back to that. So when you're making deposits, you are allowed to to invest up to $6,000 a year if you're single. If you're over 50 years old, you get an extension on that of, of another $1,000. So you have a total of $7,000 you can invest in your Roth IRA every year. And if you're married, there are different limits for that as well. And I believe the traditional is the same amounts. Now, these are for, we're recording this in October of 2020. Uh, they do change. Generally, to my knowledge, they only go up, but it doesn't go up every single year. So this is for the tax year. Those numbers I'm referring to are for the tax year of 2019 and 2020. Uh, we do have a new election coming up. We also have a new year coming up in a few months, and there is, an, I guess, a possibility that those numbers could change. So the best bet is before you open one of these accounts or you decide to start investing in one of these accounts is to go online. Uh, and look up the contribution limits or talk to your accountant or your investment banker uh, to find out what your options are as far as the taxes go. So those are those are tax-benefited accounts for you to invest in. One would be the traditional and the other one is the Roth. And again, the easiest way to remember, one is I, I don't pay taxes now, I pay taxes later, traditional. 
Roth. I pay taxes now. I don't pay taxes later. So that's kind of an overview of those. So I know Andrew has a lot more information about the backdoor Roth. So I'm going to turn it over to him now. Yeah. So, you know, thanks for that. I think it, as a beginner, it can, it can seem like a fire hose at times. You know, you can put as much money in the market as you want. It's just these Roth accounts and IRA accounts, traditional IRAs, they give you a tax shield, you know, like Dave said, either up front or on the back end. And so it's something that you can take advantage of. Not everybody can, and it's okay if you don't. Um, it's just something we like to recommend because saving on one half of taxes is always nice. As you're using Roths, like Dave mentioned, depending on your tax filing status and depending on your income, it's going to change how much you can either deduct on your taxes or how much you can contribute. So as an example for a Roth, if you're single and you make upwards of, I believe it's $122,000 a year, then the amount that you can contribute starts to scale down. And once you hit another number, I think it was 136 or 138 thousand dollars a year then you can't contribute to it at all and so with the question here is basically alluding to that where you're in a situation where you make too much money where you can't contribute to fund a roth they do have what's called a backdoor roth and so it's 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 like a a way to get around it but it's not illegal because if you read through the tax documents and and the the IRS rules you'll see these provisions in there um i guess most people probably don't go through that arduous process i have at least for uh recent tax years so you know take that with a grain of salt obviously like dave said these tax rules can change over the years and amendments can be made but you know, if if you're looking to optimize your finances, it's it's a good way to go. As it pertains to the backdoor Roth, I'm not a hundred percent expert. I'll just tell you that for one, if you are doing a backdoor Roth, from my understanding, you're not allowed to have any money in a traditional IRA when you make that backdoor Roth. So one way to get around that would be to either withdraw the money from the traditional IRA or if you have a 401k you can transfer it to, then you can do the backdoor Roth. It, it's it's a very weird rule. Um, so if you have like a traditional 401k, you should be able to take a backdoor Roth plan to still contribute towards a Roth. If you have a traditional IRA, you're not allowed to do a backdoor Roth and you have to move those funds to a 401k in order to do the backdoor Roth. So that's something I think that doesn't get talked much about and and is worth kind of researching on your own. It's not impossible to research, um, but it does take some effort. So that's what I would recommend as far as that. And he also mentions distributing money from my 401k and rolling it over to a Roth. I, I, I don't I don't see why you would have to distribute from your 401k to take to to go to the Roth. It's almost like biting your hand to feed your stomach. I don't know. When you're talking about contributing to a Roth, you're talking about $6,000 at most. So to withdraw early from a 401k doesn't really make a lot of sense for most people because you have taxes and penalties that come with 
withdrawing from a 401k early. So that's what I would say about that part of the question. I know he has a couple others and maybe we can read those next. Yep. That's a good, that's a good, those are good answers. So, and I didn't know some of those things. So thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, so, okay. I'm going to move on to the next part of the question here. So he says, uh, I have a fair amount of money in the 401k already. I've been investing it for about 12 years. There is a new regulation in the CARES Act that allows early distribution up to $100,000 without penalty and three years to pay the tax. Some websites say that you can use it to fund a Roth, even though this was not the intended purpose. Is this a legit option? Another funding option could come from selling Tesla and or Netflix, two stocks I happen to hold. You have mentioned them a few times on the podcast as overvalued. Yeah, so let's let's... Let's tackle that that Tesla and Netflix part at the end. I think that could be kind of fun. But we'll finish up with with Mike's personal finance questions here. So if you are able to withdraw early from your 401k because of the CARES Act, you know, I don't know if that means you have to prove that you've had financial hardship due to the the pandemic lockdown. That would be something to research into. It's not clear, you know, while you could be allowed to take the distribution early without a penalty. There's nothing in there that says, you know, based on what Mike said, there could also be taxes. So as an example, if you are, if you have a 401k, you've been putting money in for 10 years. And if it's just your regular old base model 401k, then once you sell that money, you know, you didn't have to pay the taxes up front. But once you you sell your investments that are in there, and you, you take your gains, you have to pay taxes on your gains. So one of the beauties of investing is every single year you're you're deferring taxes. And I, I think Buffett might have been somebody who's been quoted talking about this, where you get a huge compounding effect on your investments by just holding them. And, and it's one of the best tax shields ever. Because you know, if you're trading in and out of stocks, let's say you make 10% one year, you, you make maybe 11% the next year, but you're paying taxes on that 10%. Then you're paying taxes on that 11%. Your returns that you're making after taxes are less. And then as you reinvest that money, that money that you, you make on that money, is the taxes come out and then so your compounding is less and it's less and it's less. But in the stock market, companies will compound their earnings, you'll see the stock prices also compound on themselves. So when you see a stock r- rise from $30 to $33, it's up 10%. To go another 10%, it, 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 it will compound from that new $33 amount. I think that's what a lot of people don't understand. And so as that continues over years and years and years, you basically have this, whether it's 10%, 11%, as the business is growing in value, the profits are growing and you're compounding, but you're not getting that, those taxes taken out year after year after year. You're able to just sit on it and let it roll. And so that's a huge tax benefit. If you're talking about withdrawing from a 401k early, then you're most likely going to have to pay taxes on it unless it's a Roth 401k. In that case, you're still having to sell out of investments early. And so again, I, it, it kind of sounds like biting your hand to feed your stomach, it 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 doesn't make sense to sell an investment to go into another investment, but then also have to deal with taxes and fees along with that. 
and or interrupting any compounding that you had already, I would just say, you know, try to just don't make it cute. If you can do the backdoor Roth, that's great. If not, oh, well, big deal. You know, if you're blessed enough to have an income where you're having to worry about Roth limitations, really, that $6,000 a year that's going towards a Roth probably isn't moving the needle for your life anyways. So, you know, research it, see if it's possible, but, you know, don't be trying to do some crazy maneuver and end up shooting yourself in the foot in the process. That's great advice. Uh, Fantastic advice, actually. All right. Uh, Let's move on to the next part of the question. All right. So kind of following up with the last part of the question here, uh, I could sell $6,000, which is a maximum for 2020, then convert it to a Roth. What do you recommend? Number one, distribute some of the 401k or leave it alone to continue growing. Number two, sell some or all of the overvalued stocks. Number three, start fresh and fund $150 a month like you have mentioned on the previous podcast. Thanks so much, everything you do and putting the power in your hands, Mike. So Andrew, what are your thoughts on that plus what I had mentioned earlier about Tesla and Netflix? Yeah, so the the first part of that question, I do see where Mike's coming from here. He's wanting to maybe transfer some of that tax liability. Maybe he's wanting to take some money and get the taxes done up front. And then if it's converted to a Roth later, you don't have to pay taxes on that later. So, you know, that could definitely be an option too. Like I said before, you know, be aware of, of the compounding and, and not getting, not interrupting that if you can. And the same token, if, if you feel like you have a year right now where you have a lot of cash and you don't mind paying taxes on on a on a 401k to convert it to a Roth in order to get tax savings on the back end. You you can do that too. I, I, I see the logic there. I would just say, you know, just because there's not a penalty for the CARES Act and the early withdrawal doesn't mean you don't necessarily have to pay taxes. So be careful with that and be careful with the fact that there's capital gains taxes and there's also taxes on the tax deferred part of a traditional 401k. So understand there's two taxes there that that they're talking about. Make sure you understand both of those. And talking about, you know, should I start fresh and fund $150 a month? Yeah, I think obviously that would be a great thing. But if if somebody's in a situation where they're making more where a backdoor Roth is is an option for them, I think you can really do a lot more than $150 a month. There's probably, you know, unless you're you're really redlining your budget, I think to max out a a IRA contribution every year shouldn't be a problem at at that income range. And so, if that were the case, I you know I hope people aren't limiting themselves to just $150 a month because I've I found that as a good starting point and a good encouraging point to just get the ball moving. You know, if you can do more, definitely do more. And you know, even on top of that, just because the contribution limits six thousand dollars a year, well, if I have more money in savings, you know that money can go into the stock market too. Sure, you don't have the tax shield of a regular IRA or a Roth IRA, but you can have a regular brokerage account and buy stocks just in the same way. And so, I think that can be very valuable for people who are are higher income. And and you know, yes, you have to pay taxes, but it's still, you know, you you have the money sitting in the savings account. You have to pay taxes on that too. So why not make money, <laughs> make more money and 
uh, I think it was it wasn't Robert Kiyosaki. Somebody it might have been Buffett again said, you know, paying taxes is a good thing because it means you're you're making money. And you have to make a lot of money to pay taxes. So in that case, and when you're talking about big dollar amounts, I would definitely say, yeah, put as much as you as you are comfortable with and, and let that compounding work its magic. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. As far as the the overvalued stocks, I think that's something that Dave we could have a ton of fun with. That would be an option in this case, right? Uh, essentially locking in some profits and then maybe on the back end trying to convert that to a Roth and then getting in some good margin of safety type stocks that we always try to emphasize, right? Stocks that might not be as flashy, but should grow and compound over time and, and give you a nice solid dividend payment. So that's an option. And talking about Tesla and Netflix, I think congrats on on having those stocks because those have done very, very well. Depending on, on when you got in, the question would be, you know, how do you look at those stocks now and, and do you continue holding them? And I think that's a challenge that I would challenge really any investor who has 
Tesla or Netflix. If you're going to hold, how long are you going to hold? Why are you going to hold? And, you know, I know, Dave, you probably have thoughts on both of those companies, too. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. I do, <laughs> for sure. Uh, I wanted to echo uh, the great ideas that Andrew was passing along there, especially when you think about if you have the opportunity to invest more, if it works within your budget, then by all means, fire away. Uh, the more money that you set aside that can earn more money, even if it's even if it's in a savings account or if you buy a bond fund, uh, even if those uh, types of options aren't making you, you know, gazillionaires, it's still working for you and much more than it is just sitting in a checking account, for example. So I think anytime you have an opportunity to put money to work for you, then I think you need to try to take advantage of that. And I guess something I would be curious to, to figure out, and it's probably something I should look into is what would be the impact of investing in a non-taxable account over a 15, 20 year period and not selling anything and then having to sell at some point because eventually you will have to sell at some point uh, to maximize you know, the money that you've made uh, to live off of in retirement or whatever it may be. So I guess that would be, I guess something that I would be curious about uh, along those lines and, kind of moving on from there to the Tesla slash Netflix, uh, by all means, sell them. <laughs> um, I, I have been nothing but bearish on Tesla uh, from the get-go. And I just, the more I read about all the different things going on in the world, I just cannot see a path for that company to be as successful as the price that it's being marked in for uh at some point it is going to go down i don't know when and i'm not shorting the company i'm not i'm not crazy <laughs> but uh i just i can't i'm going to give you a couple examples of things that i've read about in the last couple weeks that for me cast even more doubt about what's going on with tesla uh first one being the news of what's going on with gm uh gm recently announced that they're releasing a Hummer that's electric and they're converting some of their plants to make Hummers as well as Cadillacs. And they're anticipating on having up to 23 electric vehicles by 2023, which is a little over two years away from now. That's huge. And when you think about the production capacity of a company like Tesla, I'm sorry, of GM compared to Tesla, it, Tesla is struggling to put out half a million cars in a year. GM does that on Tuesday. Uh, so I just, I just can't see how a company like Tesla is going to be able to compete in the long run with a company like GM. And GM is not even here in the United States. They're obviously a big company, but on a world market, I don't, a world stage, I don't know how they rank. I, I'm not an insider in the, auto industry. So this is just me talking. So take that for what it's worth. I guess the other aspect, uh, another figure to think about too, is something Andrew mentioned to me last week was that Volkswagen has started producing electric cars in Europe. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, they're the number one uh, producer of electric cars in Europe. And they Not, dwarf. Well, 
not 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 like they're the number one, but they had a launch on their new electric vehicle, and it did a lot better than some of the Tesla numbers for that particular time and point. Okay, all right. Thank you for clarifying that. So again, another aspect of a huge company that's making cars and now is moving more towards that. Now, this is in no way, shape, or form. Am I demeaning a Tesla vehicle or the accomplishments of, of Elon Musk or his intelligence? I just don't think that the company is worth what is being offered in the stock market. It's just, it's, it's just too expensive. It's like, it's like going and buying a Porsche and paying $300,000 for a $50,000 car. That's really what you're doing when you buy Tesla stock right now. Now, does that mean people have made money on it? Absolutely. They have. Have they made a lot of money in a lot of cases? Yeah, of course they have. But at some point it's going to burst. And I, I would hate for people to be banking the retirement on Tesla going from 420 bucks a share that it is now to $3,000 a share in the next six months to 10 years. I just don't see that happening. And I worry for people about the company in that situation. Uh, I guess I've talked a lot about Tesla, Netflix. I, be, I guess I'm can not I, quite Can I put in some on. words on Tesla? course by all means <laughs> okay. uh, so i it's not the neither of these stocks are are on my radar at the moment everybody knows i'm i'm a dividend guy and i i look for that dividend growth over time that said i think i think they they do deserve a little bit of defense and maybe we can poke some holes in that too but on the one hand so they're they're going to be the most vertically integrated car company that we've ever seen from like every aspect of it. So not only are they, you know, manufacturing in some of the most bootstrapped ways with with some of the pictures that went viral last year about, you know, them manufacturing in these makeshift tents, but you know, they're also working on getting the battery production in-house. They don't deal with the auto dealers and so as an example, one of the the targets that are right next to my where I live right now has a, a Tesla area where you know Tesla cars can go and uh, charge up. And I don't know if if they sell Tesla vehicles there, but I know the mall, one of the malls close to me, has like a Tesla store. So they're doing things that you know none of these car companies have ever done. They're they're also kind of like a data play, and, and they're they're almost like a software play too. So, with all the focus on the 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 workings of the car and the fact that it's so different from uh, your regular kind of internal combustion engine car, they the data collection on on these Teslas is is expected to be huge. And, you know, we have data as a catalyst in a lot of different industries, making a lot of companies a lot of money, companies like Facebook, Google, Apple, you know, all all those big guys, Microsoft, they all use data and they're able to profit a lot from from the data they collect. All that being said, you know, I, I, this was something I just, I, I go on these weird kind of curious journeys. And so for whatever reason, and I wasn't intending to look up Tesla, but I, I wanted to see because we were talking, Dave, the other day about um, I, I just found it very hard to justify 
investing in a car company in general because you have a vehicle that if you do good, right? If you're a company and you produce a good vehicle, then that means your customer is not coming back. <laughs> I don't know how good of a business model that is where you put out a good product and people don't come back and buy another one from you for 7, 10, 15 years, right? So it's almost like a, a self-destructing kind of business model. But anyways, forget about that. I, I went on Google and and based on some of the other things I know from some of the auto-related stocks I, I, I've owned or owned or have covered, the average the average amount of time until somebody replaces a vehicle is about one in every seven years. And so I was curious, okay, so how many people are there registered? So in the United States, there's about 250 million people who are licensed drivers that you would assume would have a car or two. You know, maybe the people who have two make up for the people who have zero. And then, you know, how many percentage of that are buying new cars? So if you do the math, it's about um, if every person who was who was licensed ended up buying a car once every seven years, you would have about about half of the people would do that. If if I don't know, does that make sense? Half of the people who could buy a car to stay at that I'm gonna buy a car every seven years, half of those amount of people are doing that right now with twenty twenty numbers. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So, you know, we have about fifty percent of that. So, you know, yeah, you can make the argument that maybe maybe 75% of those people or maybe even 100%, everybody will all of a sudden see the light and they'll start upgrading their cars every seven years closer to the average rather than keeping their cars longer. You could make that argument. But as it stands right now with those numbers, you would be looking at, you know, and then I took the average price of a vehicle, uh, something around, I think the new vehicle is something like $35,000. So you multiply that, you multiply with how many new cars are being sold, how often people are are uh, recycling these cars, and you have a uh, a auto market that's somewhere around five hundred billion. And if you do some Google searches, the some some people have have confirmed that it's generally around there. You always want to be careful when you're on Google because there's a lot of um, misinformation being spread about industry numbers and market sizes especially so be careful but you know doing some some checks like that can kind of help so we're talking about a company like tesla at a 400 billion dollar market cap in a car market that's 500 billion dollars a year so somehow it doesn't really add up where i find it hard to believe that you know they could be trading almost at a one times price to sales, but a price to sales of the entire auto industry. So they have a lot of good stuff going for them. I think they can they can figure out profitability. I think the stock can run for a very long time, and it's really impossible to know when reality or rationality would ever set in if it ever does. But I think as as an investor who's who's trying to to invest reliably, I don't see how you can make a case that buying Tesla now at these prices will be a reliable source of returns for you moving forward. It's it's a very unpredictable stock. It's obviously a disruptor, but if it's not if you're listening to our show and, and you like what we talk about and and you subscribe to those ideas, it doesn't fit into the idea. And so if it doesn't fit into the idea, how long are you going to hold it? 
well, I'll just hold it, you know, until it gives me a good profit. <laughs> good luck with that. You know, it's, it's a very hard, trust me, it's very hard to hold a stock after it's gone down, let alone a stock that you don't even like. It's it's hard enough when it's a stock you like and, and you've done research and you know why you're buying it. And it becomes really hard when the stock price goes down. And so it become even harder when the analysis was based on the fact that one day they'll figure out profitability or one day they're going to do this, one day they're going to do that. It's a very hard thing to invest on, when, especially when the floor falls out. Yes, I, I would agree with that. And you made some fantastic points. And I, I will agree with a lot of the things you were saying. For me, it just really comes down to the fact that going back to my you know Porsche example, you're overpaying for a quality vehicle, no doubt. And the few people that I know that have had them love them. But I just I just can't wrap my brain around trying to invest in something like that i just everything screams to me that it's just not as you were saying it's it's going to be it's going to be a it's going to be a volatile bumpy ride uh the cult of elon is real and the the fanaticism of the people that invest in that company and believe in what it's trying to do are definitely real and it's you know volatile is is (laughs) next to that word in a dictionary is a picture of <laughs> is a picture of Tesla. So uh, there is no doubt that it's a it's a uh, it's a mover and a shaker, and it's a disruptor for sure. Uh, they've definitely changed the world of of automobiles, which I th- I think everybody would agree was is a good thing. But I think it's just the, the sheer fact of the price of the company just makes me nervous. Uh, so let's so let's move on to, to Netflix. What are your thoughts about Netflix? Netflix is interesting. It's it's almost on a league of its own. Um, we won't get super deep into the the actual financials of it, but if you think about the way that their business is, they have to constantly because you know originally Netflix started and and they were just delivering movies, almost like Amazon was delivering books, right? And then they they moved everybody to the streaming platform, and they were getting a lot of license deals with a lot of different content creators um a lot of tv shows you know the office friends uh, these huge hit shows you can find on netflix now those are starting to disappear companies are realizing how big of a competitor netflix is so you have companies like disney who you know not only do they own everything disney but they own abc now they own fx so they have their whole stable of content and tv shows and movies and that's all going away from Netflix and going onto their own platform. You see that too with, um, you saw it with AT&T owns HBO. And so, you know, they tried to do a similar thing with their HBO Max. NBC, is NBC owned by Comcast or are they different? I'm not, I'm not uh, 100% sure. Yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure either. So, okay. Well, I know NBC is, you know, they're coming out with their streaming platform, the, the, um, the Peacock app. So they're they're doing things too. So you have all these competitors pointing their pointing their targets at Netflix. And so now Netflix has turned into a company and, and you know they they've I think they saw this from the beginning. They they've always made it a priority to invest in their own shows and 
a lot of them have been really, really good. Um, Black Mare, um, Orange is the New Black. You know, they're, they're, I mean, people who go on Netflix a lot more regularly than I can, they can probably list off, you know, a list of House of Cards. I, li- I really liked that one. But, you know, by now, by now, there's there's a there's a long list of good shows, and and it's it's proven to be a good business strategy. You know, a lot of people, even with the shows that are dropping off, they're still keeping their Netflix subscriptions due to that. That being said, it's a very tough business to be in in the sense that you have to be constantly spending. So, in the case of Netflix, they even they disclosed this in their annual report. They said that their content assets. After about four years, that's that's about how long that 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 content assets valuable for, and then they just gotta they gotta produce more and more and more and more of it. So you know, on the one hand, you have that aspect of it. On the other hand, they've they've done really well compared to where they were when it comes to increasing revenues and increasing revenues, not just increasing them, but increasing them to a point where they're finally profitable and. The question now becomes: Are they able? Are they going to be able to sustain that moving forward? Because if they are, it's probably going to be a fantastic investment, and you might still be in the middle innings of this. But if they're not, that's where you're going to see a huge problem. Because not only do you have the problem of constantly needing to spend money to keep the content fresh on the platform, but then you also have the problem of you know if 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 subscribers are leaving and and you're still desperately trying to spend on content that's not working then you you're trying you're trying to put this fire out and and it's like it's like a, a boat where you're trying to you're trying to plug the hole and and it's just the boat keeps sinking so they need to continue growing and figure out how they're going to squash the competition and continue to to grow profits, and I think it's going to be interesting. I don't know which way they're going to go, one way or the other, but I think they're a very special business in that so much of their business is based on spending on content, and you know the platform itself is is pretty cheap, but it's the content that ex- that is expensive, and so in this case, content is keen, and that I think that could really decide how this business goes. I would agree. And I think the, the, there's several interesting questions about Netflix. It, when you compare it to other companies that are part of the, the Fang uh, grouping, if you look at just the margins alone and some of the other metrics that you would measure kind of all the companies with, theirs are probably, they're not bad. I'm certainly I'm not going to say they're bad, but if you compare them to uh, the Microsofts, the Facebooks, the Apples, Googles, they don't, they don't line up. They don't stack up. And it's, it's interesting. You know, when you look at the financial part of it, they don't look like they're as strong as some of the other companies that are included in that grouping. But the flip side of that is you have this platform, like Andrew was talking about, that is completely sticky. And I don't know what their churn numbers are. And when I'm talking about churn, I'm talking about how many people they have sign up for the platform subscribe to Netflix and basically it stay with them or people that sign up, leave, sign up, leave, that kind of thing. So 
I'm not sure what their numbers are compared to other viewing platforms that are out there and the the rise in competition over the last few years especially has really started to accelerate because like Andrew was saying these people have discovered that there's there's money to be made and in, in a lot of cases a lot of money to be made and that has given the rise to Disney Plus and Hulu and Peacock and HBO Max and just on and on and on and I just think that for me, I mean, I love the product. I use it. I've been using it for years. Uh, I was one of the first people in the cutting cable realm, which is kind of ironic because you cut the cable because it was too expensive. And now you start adding all these other platforms on and pretty soon you got YouTube TV and then you got Netflix and you got Amazon Prime and all these other things. And next thing you know, you're paying more than you did for cable back in the day. So anyway, my point being with all this is that they have created a very sticky platform that I think is going to bode them well now and into the years to come. Uh, the thing that I, that I worry about with them is that they are also kind of coming into the realm of the content creators and getting on the, I guess the best way of putting it is they've had to change their model a little bit over the years. As Andrew was, was saying before they were able to take all the other shows and put them on their platform. But now those entities have decided that they want to make money on off their own content and are kind of leaving Netflix to start fending for themselves as far as the content goes. Now they've done an awesome job of creating a lot of great shows. Some of the ones Andrew was mentioning, including, you know, in addition to uh, Stranger Things uh, more recently and a show that I really liked, The Last Kingdom. Uh, so there's just, there's all kinds of stuff and there's something for everybody. But I guess the point that I, that makes me nervous about the company is that once they start down, the, down that content uh, merry-go-round, if you will, is that they're only as good as the last show that they created that's popular. And what are they going to do? How are they going to grow? How are they going to continue to entice people? Then it becomes a little bit more like, I guess I feel like it becomes a little bit more like ABC, NBC, and CBS, where that was what they were having to do was create all this content constantly to entice people to watch their networks, to get people to watch the ads that were on the networks because that's how the com- that's how ABC makes their money. And so Netflix makes it by subscriptions. They don't make it by ads. So how are they going to do this? Are they going to be able to contra- keep creating, you know, binge worthy, everybody's got to watch it shows like Stranger Things, or are they going to have more niche things that are maybe not as popular, but they create their own buzz, if you will. So I, I think they got, they definitely got some headwinds ahead of them, I think for sure. Uh, I, I guess I would feel like maybe out of the fang companies, and you could argue with me if I'm wrong, but I, I guess I would feel like with the fang companies in particular, they, I think they have the toughest road, to, road to hoe, uh, in the next coming years compared to Facebook, Apple, and Google, for example. I just think they're going to have the, the, the biggest challenge to, to continue to stay competitive with those companies in particular. Yeah, that's a fantastic insight. I completely agree. 
All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our conversation for this evening. I wanted to thank Mike for taking the time to send us that great question. There was a lot of great stuff in there for us to talk about and some really cool things to, I guess, help educate people a little bit about things that maybe they're not as familiar about. So thank you again, Mike, for taking the time to send that to us. And I hope you found our answers helpful for you. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety, Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.